Welcome to the Crushing Cash Flow Podcast, where we share phenomenal advice and dozens of decades of wisdom from investors and entrepreneurs of all types and all stages of their journeys. We'll cover many forms of cash flowing assets, such as real estate, stock investing, entrepreneurship, and general finance guidance. Listen in and learn from those who are crushing it out there, as well as those who have been crushed by business or their investments. Now here's your host, Andrew Shutsky. Welcome to Crash and Cashflow. I'm your host as usual, Andrew Shutsky. Our guest today is Dan Pepper. Dan is the owner of Palm Communities, a property management firm based out of Tampa, Florida. He's also an investor, real estate investor, of course, of many years as a managing principal of Palm Capital Partners. We've got a really meaty episode planned uh, full of secrets, tips, and tricks. So I'm really excited about the content here. Dan, thanks so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Andrew. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So tell us a little bit about your background and your companies first and foremost. Yeah, I was actually a broker at the peak of the last cycle, uh, 2009, 2010 range. And we saw the multifamily world in a much different place than we're at now. Mm-hmm. A lot of distress, a lot of folks going through some real pain. And the folks who made it through did so by being strategic, saving money, which I know we'll talk about and mm-hmm. seeing it through. Um I was fortunate enough just with timing that there were some good low price deals that had trouble that I was able to start buying a few deals myself. Uh, levering up, I used uh, BB&T primarily, a local a regional bank. Um, bought a few deals, improved them, sold them off. Bought a few others, improved them, sold them off. I've got a partner now, Josh. He was a friend at the time doing similar. And we've now done a handful of investments together, uh, mainly buying, improving, and selling off. We tend to be kind of value add on the investment side. But a lot of the stuff we sold off, the uh, buyers were more passive. They were buying a coupon to clip. They wanted passive income. And so uh, we started as a favor for a few people staying on the manage. Um, and we've now grown to almost exclusively managing property just by doing right by some investors and having an investor's attitude ourselves. And we're now managing about 600 units, all West Florida. Wow, that's impressive. So what made you want to start your own property management firm then from there? Yeah, it was really, you know, organic. Uh, we really didn't intend for it to, to sort of grow as much as it has. It was more we wanted to do right by some buyers of our properties. We stayed on as manager. Uh, they, some of them owned other property that they were using another management company or self-managing that we kind of tagged on and started helping them. And then, you know, just over time, we've gotten referrals from brokers of deals and lenders and attorneys who've seen that we take an investor's approach to operating property. Um, so we've been very fortunate to now manage for quite a few owners. Yeah, that's great. And I think that's one area that everybody's always interested in is like, okay, it's one thing to get the deal, but then what, you know, now you're on the hook and you got to execute your business plan. So it's cool that you really have the perspective of the broker, of the investor, of the property manager, of an asset manager, uh, and of course, as a passive, passive investor as well. So, so let's dig in a bit. Go ahead. Yeah, I think it's also important to specialize. And so that's all we do on the, on the management side is multifamily. We don't manage retail. We don't manage houses. We don't manage 300 unit multifamily either. We tend to manage the like 20 or 50 unit stuff. Um, and we found that we excel because we know that market. I don't know office. I don't know how to run a hotel. Yeah. I would be very bad at that, but you know, I think it is the age of the specialist. And it's true for investors too. A lot of investors do well by sticking to their niche. 
That's that's key. I mean, I 100% agree with everything you said. So let's start with the income side of things. I mean, the obvious piece is, hey, jack up rents, right? What what have you learned over the years that maybe you've kept close to the vest that you're a little you know nervous to share? But it'd be great to hear some of that. Uh, what what tips do you have on the income side? Yeah, I mean, so exactly. A lot of investors buy property with the intention to raise rent. A lot of tenants get nervous about that. And so uh, the easy, quick answer is have the conversation with tenants and describing that you're there to now provide better service than they were getting, or you're going to make XYZ common area improvements that justify those rent increases. And that can really go a long way. If people understand that there's a relationship, it's a back and forth. It's not just hey, sorry, here's your renewal, it's 100 bucks more, but you explain to them how and why you're gonna give them more value, Um, it's a good way. Some more specific ways, one of the top ways to to boost uh, your income is through uh, passing through in some way the water expense. Uh, The day of 20 years ago was that landlords included water in the rent in almost all multifamily properties. So if the rent was a thousand bucks, tenant paid a thousand bucks, it included all the water they wanted to use. That was okay when it was the custom and when water expenses were lower, but water is a very material expense now at properties. And so one way or another from day one, you should be passing through water to tenants. The easy way is a method we use a lot at properties. We call it a convenience fee. It's basically a simplified version of rubs. So okay. Place, um, you know, a simple monthly flat fee for water based on the number of occupants. Our latest model has been we typically charge 50 bucks a month for one occupant, 70 bucks a month for two occupants, 90 a month for three or more. And it's a great way to, mo- to immediately pop your collections. You, you can't do it for tenants who are currently in a lease uh, because their lease may say that, you yeah. know, included. But when you renew them, you could just keep the rent flat and add the convenience fee on at that renewal, say it's $70. You've now got a $70 pop in your uh, per month and per rent um, you know, rent roll, which is huge. And you know, tenants get it. They understand the water is expensive. You can also do a rub system. It's a bit more complex where a third party reads the water bills and divides the bills among tenants. Tenants don't love that system because the number changes every month. They may get a $100 bill one month, a $60 bill the next. Um, It can create some confusion, so we tend not to recommend it, even though it is a popular choice among investors. And really the third way is you can do submeters where you install actual private meters at each unit. Um, And so that way you can track use by each unit and build tenants for their exact usage. Great pro of that is that you reduce your water consumption significantly. Mm. The con really is that there's a cost to putting those meters in anywhere from 300 to a thousand a unit, depending on the setup. Well, quick question on the flat expense piece. That probably will be appealing to many because it's, it's much simpler than having a third party involved or whatever. How are you determining the, the, the amounts? Are you basing it on comps, others in the area, or you're just kind of, hey, this is the industry standard nationally, regionally, whatever? Yeah, we've done it based on really studying what our historic costs have been. So it really is a simplified version of rubs where we're seeing what we've paid for water, say over the past six or 12 months, and we're figuring out a rough estimate of what it would cost uh, each tenant. So uh, for example, we used to be at like uh, $40 for one occupant. We've now bumped it up to 50 because our costs 
have gone up in a lot of the cities locally. So it's a rough estimate of what the uh, cost is going to be. You'll notice uh, P&L some month, you'll collect a bit more convenience fees than your water cost actually is, whereas other months you may actually be a little short. So it's just kind of a blend. That's a great overview of the utility side. It's often overlooked, we know. Um, what about on the amenities side? Have you found that you charge for certain things, et cetera? Can expand on that? Yeah, um, it can be tough to quantify, for example, like what adding a pool is going to do for the property. It's tough mm-hmm. to a dollar rent increase from that. Um, certainly, it helps retain good people. And certainly, there's some bump to rent. But it's hard to say it's going to raise rents $50 for a pool, for example. There are some more like concrete examples. It tends to be more on the interior of the units. So like, for example, we've found that adding laundry hookups and machines, including the machines with the rent, will pop rent about $100 on average per month. Um, now that cost may be three to 5,000 bucks per unit to put the hookups and machines. But if you're adding 100 bucks a month applied to a cap rate, you've more than doubled the investment. Um, so, other kind of more easier low-hanging fruits would be if there's carpet in the unit, get rid of it as fast as you can and do LVT, the vinyl planks throughout. Very low cost and really helps. I would say, again, it's hard to quantify the exact number, but I would say easily it's a $50 difference in rent for having hard flooring, the LVT versus carpet, and it reduces your turn costs, so it's going to help you on the expense side too. Um, just like in houses, um, kitchen and bath improvements are where the money is made. Uh, and you can do low cost stuff there. A lot of times we'll resurface the kitchen cabinets and counters. It's a simple glaze that goes over the existing, or you can even replace just the cabinet doors without replacing the cabinet boxes. In the bathroom, it's kind of the same, maybe a cheap new vanity and resurfacing that in Florida, there's a lot of that yellow and pink tiles on the wall resurface it's a glaze that goes over the tile wall white clean simple again hard to quantify an exact pop but i would say kitchen and bathroom improvements are easily going to get you 50 to 150 per month more in rent depending on what you do yeah that's pretty powerful i mean i know i'm curious you know i have one specific question around the resurfacing piece uh, i know i've heard mixed results you know some say hey there maybe it depends on the quality of the contractor right like anything else but some are saying, hey, maybe you get a year or two or three and, you know, you hope that it holds up before you sell. But how, how long have they, been, have they lasted in your experience on the resurfacing? Because that's a pretty significant savings if you, without, a, you know, a full fiberglass tub tear out or whatever it may be. Yeah, the bathroom wall tiles hold up for long. I would say 10 years at least. Mm-hmm. Um, tub resurfacing only lasts you a couple of years and then you can inexpensively touch it up. Um, so sometimes we'll actually not even resurface the tub if it's in okay shape. Uh, the bathroom cabinet and counters, uh, sorry, the kitchen cabinet and counters, the kitchen cabinets will last you a long time, the resurfacing there. Um, the counters, you know, if the people are cutting their knives and using the counter as a cutting board, yeah. <laughs> uh, again, you'll probably have to touch up the counters, but you won't have to completely resurface them. Um, so I would say every few years, you'll probably have to touch up the counters but it's certainly cheaper than replacing with granite, for example. Absolutely. Absolutely. So moving on to the expense side of things, I mean, you think about the heavy hitting items like, you know, taxes, insurance, the turnovers, what are the top two or three things that you'd say, Hey, these are the, these are the things to watch out for. These are what you should be doing. 
Yeah, so specific line item reductions that we focus on are going to be garbage and insurance. Um, garbage, I know it's like, what, garbage? That's going to be your moneymaker. But <laughs> we find that it's like the cable companies. You know, every month your cable bill goes up arbitrarily. Yep. Well, so does your trash bill if you're not watching it, especially if it's a third-party hauler. If you're in a city, uh, for example, we're in the city of Tampa. The city has cut standard rates. But a lot of these private haulers will hook an investor on getting some low-cost trash set up, and then they just incrementally increase the cost over time. So um, we actually kind of use rule of thumb for what we should be paying for trash, and we also have rules of thumb for like cubic feet per tenant per month for pickups, that kind of stuff. But generally, I would say really focus on negotiating your trash. So if it's a third party, first thing you do is just flat out negotiate the rate. If it's waste management or public services, those third parties, it means you can shop to different carriers for trash. Just call them and have them fight each other over the rate. You can get the same coverage for a substantially lower rate just by having them negotiate back and forth. But you can also change the type and frequency of pickups. So, like for example, we'll play around with, uh, let's say there's an eight cubic yard dumpster container on the property. We may find that an eight cubic yard picked up once a week it may be more cost effective to go to a four cubic yard pickup twice a week. Hmm. Versa, you might have a small dumpster on site. It's only two cubic yards, but it's getting picked up every day. It may be cheaper just get a bigger container with less frequent pickups. And that's actually a good tip even with the cities. So the cities where they have cut dry rates, you have to pay X rate. You can still play around with the container size and the frequency of pickup to reduce that rate. Now, that's a great tip. I mean, I, I know garbage isn't always the number one, you know, a lot of people will appeal taxes or look for other ways, but that's a, that's a pretty unique tip. I appreciate that. Yeah. And a small thing, a good way to like, just rule of thumb to like test your trash is go, go to the property. Like if you're finding that the bins are almost always empty, they're probably being picked up more than they need to. Hmm. Now you want to get into a situation where you're always having overflows in the trash bins. But if you're going and you're seeing regularly empty containers, it means you're getting picked up too frequently. You can reduce that. No, that's, that's really, that's really helpful. Anything else come to mind? I mean, you think about the other areas, turn costs, et cetera. Yeah. So insurance is the other specific line item, which really um, kind of twofold there. Your basic property insurance, it's worth, depending on where you are, uh, asking local insurance agents if they know about a master policy. Uh, basically, these are like huge insurance policies that cover hundreds or thousands of multifamily units in a market. And you can often be added to those plans for cheaper per unit than it would cost you for a standalone policy for your 30-unit property, for example. So master policies are a good way to save on, on property insurance. There are some downfalls, limits in, in coverage, et cetera, but it's almost always lender approved. Um, in Florida, flood insurance is a big issue. There's tips that we kind of play around with there. Um, sometimes you can apply for a LOMA. It's a specific uh, request from FEMA who sets the flood rates and sets the flood zones. But sometimes you can actually get a property removed from flood zones. We've successfully done it about 12 times. Uh, and it significantly saves you on your operating expenses where you don't have to pay flood insurance. It doesn't always work, but it's worth looking into. And then just a not less line item, but more just a commentary. You're going to keep your expenses low by keeping turn low. 
equipment is incredibly expensive. Even if you're not renovating, you're just doing clean, touch-up paint. You know, that stuff adds up quick, and you've got a vacant unit in the meanwhile. So we do everything we can to keep good tenants. It doesn't mean we're going to keep someone if they're low on rent or if they're a bad tenant. But if they're a good tenant, they're close to market, we're going to do everything we can to keep them. And we incent our staff with the same bonuses based on keeping good people. because They know it's a lot of work for them to release the unit too. So uh, that's a good tip for investors. Like a lot of management companies don't do that. We earn the same fee for a new or renewing lease. Encourage your property manager to earn the same fee on new and renewing because that'll keep them focused on keeping good tenants. A lot of times they'll just earn some big fee for a new lease and they'll be so focused on just getting new tenants all the time. Any tips in general on just keeping tenants happy, whether it just be responsive or anything there that you'd recommend? I mean, it's good old customer service like any other business. Uh, being responsive, picking up the phone, um, taking care of maintenance requests. It doesn't mean you need to go out at 2 a.m. to fix a squeaking fan, but you know, and sometimes the answer is no, sorry, we can't repair that yet. Yeah. But you explain why and how, and the people are okay with it. The last thing they want is to just for you to ignore it altogether. Sure. Sure. No, that, that's really helpful. Um, any, anything else on the expense side? What about in turn costs? Like how do you keep them in check? Do you just use the same contractors over and over again? Or do you lock in long-term agreements for paint and things like that? How are you handling that? Yeah, volume is the name of the game for everyone. So exactly like if you can buy roofing material in bulk, if you can buy flooring in bulk, um, if you can use the same painter for every job, you're definitely going to have a declining cost. But I would say that just by using the same contractor over and over, you may not necessarily be saving. Like we hold our guys, we do tend to use a lot of the same guys over and over, but we'll hold them accountable and we're going to check every invoice because we'll notice like, they get, they get like happy and comfortable and they're like, Oh, I know they're yep. going to. And so they'll just sort of, they'll try to like sneak in a little increase here and there. We'll just call them out and say, look, we paid you, you know, $2 a square foot for labor on the last one. And now you want two fifty. What's the deal? Yeah, no, that's, that's something we've all seen and everybody's, you know, guilty of, of, uh, of that from time to time. Right. Any, any specific line items you'd say to watch out for, um, especially with con working with contractors and renovations? Um, honestly, the big tip, not, not so much line item because like things change over time, like labor may go higher and then lower materials. If there's tariffs in place, materials might be a little higher for lumber one week. LVT might be a little higher the next week. Um, I think just overall the tip would be for renovations, stick to a fixed bid. And I cannot, say that enough. <laughs> so many clients who are like, I'm just going to hire an hourly guy. Um, he's honest. I know he's going to be cheaper because I'm just paying him by the hour. When he's getting paid by the hour, especially turn like big renovations, that last 10% of the work that has to be done is always just drags out. Like the guy will be efficient on the first 80, 90% of the work, but that last 10% yeah. will just sit on it. So paying them by the job, has them focused on, they need to give you a clean delivered unit before say, before they see payment. And that's going to save you a lot of money in the long run. It'll seem like a big number. You'll get this like estimate for 10 grand and you're like, God, that seems high. But I'm telling you, try it hourly. You're going to end up spending more. Oh, I, I kind of want to repeat that. I mean, because I know I've been burned many times in the past. We're getting ready to do a project with 10 roof replacements. And we were debating, do we go with the lower, you know, variable amount or the higher fixed? And 
I have to repeat that always go with a fixed firm bid, fixed price, whenever you have the option. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it's probably true in a lot of things from business too, but like we don't necessarily always go with the cheapest person too, or the cheapest material, because sometimes there are costs to that. A good example is like, you know, there is opportunity cost on a vacant unit for every day you're down and not yeah. a unit. So like if, our, if we have a cheap guy who's going to take two months to turn a unit, or a more expensive guy who can turn it in two weeks, we're going to go with the expensive guy. Um, or for example, material like plumbing, it's so tempting to buy the off-brand cheap plumbing fixtures at Home Depot. But yeah. if you're in that property for five, 10 years, you're just going to be replacing them every couple of years. We go with the name brand, Moen, Kohler. It doesn't mean go top end, but definitely spending a few bucks where it's important will go a long way. Yeah, especially considering the cost of a plumber versus the cost of the fixture is a lot higher. So, no, that's a great tip. All right, Dan, I really appreciate it. These are solid gold advice. I mean, I'd, I would, I'll probably go back and listen to this two or three times just to reinforce it. But uh, it's great that we covered both the income, the expense side, NOI tips. And I think we got way beyond just property management and way into more of an asset and construction management. So, appreciate your time. Well, last question from my end. How can listeners get in contact with you? They're welcome to reach out through probably our website. It's always good. Rentpalm.com. Um, kind of get a flavor for what our company's like. Um, and yeah, I'm always happy. Just I am a free consultant to way too many people. I'm always happy to just talk shop like we're doing now, Andrew. I mean, I enjoy learning from you and your expertise as well. So, Absolutely. Well, thanks so much for joining. See you. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening in with us for another episode of the Crushing Cashflow Podcast. We have a small favor to ask of all of our listeners. Please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. Each subscription and rating will help us massively toward our goal of helping reach as many listeners as possible each week. Thank you very much once again for listening. We're thrilled to have you with us as part of this journey, and we can't wait to share more of these stories with you. Stay tuned for much more to come. 